So good morning once again, 9.32. I can tell you officially that uh, President Donald Trump has arrived at the Capella Hotel, Sentosa Island, where talks are due to begin now in in around 28 minutes or so. We're going to see the first greeting and then a few minutes after that, the bilateral summit will begin. Um, Still, Kim Jong-un's motorcade is on the way, crossing the bridge to Sentosa Island in the last five minutes. So it won't be long till we get to see him officially arriving at the summit venue. We have got uh, a media monitor that you wouldn't see that feed on any of the channels, but we've got that available to us. So if we see anything particularly interesting there, I'll certainly let you know. Uh, let me once again introduce here in the studio Professor Patricia Getty of Sungkyun Gwan University School of Law, specialist in human rights, refugee law and North Korea. And thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So, I mean, we were reflecting on a number of issues before, but one of them was whether we can challenge some of the really thorny points, including human rights, in today's summit. And you were suggesting this maybe is not enough time and and too much risk to to push too hard on President Trump's side today. Right. And I think that the Trump team realizes that as well, because apparently reports have said that they're not going to discuss human rights during the summit. But I think it's unavoidable to be discussing human rights uh, in the side side sessions with the the other officials. Uh, and and I think this is this is critically so if there are going to be discussions about lifting sanctions in relation to denuclearization, because we have US legislation that requires improvements in human rights before, um, some of these sanctions can be suspended or terminated. So, something else to consider as well, that the legal implications, which haven't always been recognised. I mean, again, something we talked about earlier in today's show, President Trump's violation of the Iran nuclear deal, as it was described by our guest, rather than a pullout. Yes. And, and, and if you're prepared to do that, one wonders how far the letter of the law matters. That has been the dilemma with uh, this this administration, and that has been one of the criticisms as well. If uh, the administration is willing to pull out on major deals negotiated uh, earlier, then can Kim Jong-un trust uh, President Trump and the U.S. government to stick to its words um, in any kind of uh, agreement to be hammered out in the future? Well, please stay with us. Professor Getty, we're going to now get an alternative perspective of this. What's it like? We've got these luxury hotels, three of them involved directly in Singapore, with hosting each of the leaders involved in this bilateral summit, but also the venue itself, the Capella Hotel on Sentosa Island that we're also referring to uh, as now welcoming the, the leaders for the summit itself. How do you, as a large hotel, accommodate? this kind of experience. Well, Bernard Brenda, general manager at Grand Hilton Seoul, has the experience of hosting a North Korean delegation before and now joins us on the line. Good morning to you. Good morning, Alex. Great to have you with us. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, you um, have had this experience, as I said, uh, but you described the, the North Koreans that you've been involved with as, as being very disciplined and and I guess that helps you with your own protocols that you set up. Exactly, exactly. 
What what um, were the protocols and security that you took? For example, when the North Korean Taekwondo team's visit to the South took place and they stayed at your the, hotel. The compliment goes to the government, military, police. They all make sure the hotel is secure and things were just perfectly done. On February 10, during the Winter Olympic, NBA broadcast arranged a dinner in our hotel. They didn't stay with us. And then there suddenly came the Taekwondo team from the north, and they, and, and they just had a wonderful color dinner. The security, like already mentioned, was already secured. All dressed, uh, Alex, in red sports uniform, marching into the ballroom. All have been warmly welcomed by, by shake hands, and they're all smiling, friendly, in harmony. They all eat together, drank together in moderation, had the same food, and spoke the same language. At this moment, Alex, I felt through this Winter Olympics, when the North and South compete together and win, unification can be around the corner. I can and imagine you feeling that way when, you, when you're welcoming those guests in your hotel. What about other guests, though? Did, did they have to be cleared away? But was absolutely. there any danger of that kind of interaction? Uh, Alex, absolutely not. Uh, there were so many people taking care of the safety, security, and my compliment goes to the government, to everybody involved. But they have been welcomed so warmly. The same people, they speak the same language, look at the same. And it was, for me, overwhelming having them in our hotel. And there was just a safe, I, something which I felt uh, unification is, must be around the corner because of the Winter Olympic, to be honest. Back on your hotelier position, yes. can you imagine what it must be like for St. Regis Hotel in Singapore hosting Kim Jong-un as a guest, uh, and then for this Capella Hotel now welcoming both these leaders for their summit? It's, what would that I, be like for you as a GM at this point? It's a big deal. Uh, you have to make sure that safety security is number one by the government, that's for sure. But treat them like normal. Every guest in any hotel is a VIP. In the Capella Hotel, if I would be there, the same. I would greet them, shake hands on safety, make sure the bed is clean, everything, the food is, is, is in order. So uh, you have to repair the back of the house and front of the house together. It's the key of make the guests happy. Now this, this, uh, this meeting is just unbelievable. So... So the hotel is just a home away from home, Alex, and we have to repair the, what they expect, need, and want. That's the basic, the basic rule of a hotelier. And I'm sure my colleague in, in Singapore, they will do the same. And as a matter of fact, when you talk Singapore, Nick Van Yu, our, our, my mentor in the past, I am sure uh, they really look down and make sure that everything is fine. Thank you again so much. Uh, Bernard Brenda for offering a very unique perspective, uh, another angle on this summit. It's been great having you on the line as well. You're welcome. Uh, Alex, take care. God bless you. Bye. Thank you very much. Likewise. Uh, Let's get back now to Professor Getty here in the studio. We're getting yet another tweet here from President Trump. Uh, He said, our great Larry Kudlow, who's been working so hard on trade and the economy, has just suffered a heart attack. He's now in Walter Reed Medical Center. I mean, obviously, first of all, we want to wish a speedy recovery to Larry Kudlow. But um, 
this was three minutes ago. We've just seen Donald Trump's motorcade arriving at the summit venue, and he's still clued in to developments back in the U.S. Yes, this is a little disturbing because we would hope that uh, the president would be focusing and preparing uh, for the summit at hand. Uh, but on the other hand, it may be showing his confidence that he doesn't need to be uh, nervous on his part and uh, rifling through documents and papers before meeting uh, Kim Jong-un. Well, Larry Kudlow um, famously endorsed President Trump before he was president, when he was a candidate. He's an American financial analyst, television pundit, serves as director of the National Economic Council under Trump. If uh, anyone's wondering uh, about his background, he is age 70. And uh, of course, always sad to hear of anybody suffering a heart attack. And again, we wish him a speedy recovery. But it's just remarkable that in the minutes before meeting Kim Jong-un, President Trump has been tweeting away. It's not just that tweet. When we go back to um, 36 minutes ago, just one big Supreme Court decision on voting. Great news, President Trump had to say. Two hours ago, he was talking about the stock market and and unemployment being low in the United States. Uh, Again, important issues, but not the issues that you would expect to be occupying President Trump's mind on the morning of perhaps the most eagerly awaited summit for decades. I mean, that's what this is, isn't it, Professor Getty? Yes, I think we all know what stakes are at hand in the hour ahead, uh, in the days ahead. And for the for the tweets to be coming out about other matters, I think is, is cause for concern. Now, we have uh, Ian Shin acting as a reporter for us this morning, keeping an eye on everything that's going on in Singapore. We're doing our best with some of the latest news feeds, uh, but uh, she has the benefit of being able to reflect on those and bring us a comprehensive roundup. So, Ian Shin, good morning to you. Can you let us know the latest from your side? Sure. The U.S. President Donald Trump is meeting with North Korea's Kim Jong-un for the first time at 10 a.m. Korea time at the resort island of Sentosa in Singapore. Trump left his hotel about an hour ahead of the summit and has arrived at the site. He is said to have left about 10 minutes before Kim Jong-un. Kim's motorcade has also arrived at the site about 20 minutes later. Multiple sources including Reuters correspondents, say that he is joined by his sister Kim Yo-jong in his car, who will later join the bilateral meeting. The first event on the agenda will, of course, be a greeting between Trump and Kim, which will take about 15 minutes. Will North Korea agree to denuclearize? Will the U.S. then guarantee security? There have been high hopes for today's historic summit that this could finally put an end to years of high tension surrounding Pyongyang's nuclear issues. Now, the private talk will only include the leaders and translators, and the meeting will shortly be followed by an expanded bilateral summit, which will include the U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and National Security Advisor John Bolton. The officials from both sides are scheduled to have lunch together later. Bolton has been a hardliner on North Korea and had infuriated the Kim regime only a few weeks ago by pushing what's known as Libya model on the north, which is asking the nation to give up all its nuclear weapons first. Trump, however, has been optimistic about prospects for today's meeting. On Twitter, he said, we will all know soon whether or not a real deal, unlike those of the past, can happen. On Monday, yesterday, he also said that he expects things are going to work out very nicely. 
And according to Mike Pompeo, the North has previously confirmed to Washington its willingness to dismantle the country's nuclear program. He said he is eager to see if those words prove sincere today. But at the same time, on the eve of the summit, he reaffirmed his strong stance against Pyongyang, saying North Korea's complete, verifiable and irreversible denuclearization is the only outcome Washington will accept. He added that no sanctions will be removed until the weapons are gone. The watch point of today's summit boils down to this, whether Kim Jong-un will comply with the U.S. request of complete, verifiable, irreversible denuclearization known as CVID. And in exchange, will Trump give a complete, verifiable, irreversible guarantee of security, or CVIG, to Kim's regime? According to unnamed inside sources, Washington is seeking to get a confirmation from the North to CVID in writing. Well, 9.45, it's all happening now, 15 minutes away from the start of a summit that we have waited decades for, even if President Trump is tweeting about matters that are completely unrelated at this point, quite remarkably. Um, We've seen images of uh, last-minute preparations, the red carpets being laid out at the Capella Hotel, cleaned. Um, I just got a glimpse of one of the most significant figures in this whole process. That is the North Korean general... Uh, the politician currently serving as vice chairman of the Central Committee of the Workers' Party of Korea for South Korean Affairs, better known as Kim Jong-un's right-hand man, Kim Young-chol, blamed for some of North Korea's uh, egregious acts in recent years, but taking on a vital role in pre-summit negotiations. He was in the US just a few days ago. He was in the White House with that oversized letter from Kim Jong-un for President Trump. And I've seen him just now looking quite fidgety, actually, moving around the red carpet along with other North Korean officials, looking like they're trying to make sure everything's in order, just giving us a sense of the urgency from the North Korean side. And as I said, you sort of expect that from the US side as well, but President Trump is tweeting about domestic affairs. We have in the studio Professor Patricia Getty of Sunkin Gwan University School of Law. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much, Alex. And let me also bring in on the line Carl Friedhoff, fellow in public opinion and Asia policy at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Thank you for speaking with us. Thanks, Alex. And, uh, I mean, you're an old friend of mine, Carl. You used to come in the studio here at uh, TBS EFM when you were based in Seoul. It's great to have you on the line from over there. But being based in the U.S., are you now pretty surprised that, that President Trump is still so engaged in American matters, tweeting about them when he's minutes away from meeting Kim Jong-un? I mean, at this point, is anyone really surprised by that? I, I, don't, I don't know why we should be surprised, given all, all the past behavior. To me, it seems like, uh, like it's true to form for him. And, you know, I would expect perhaps even, even right after the summit, we'll, we'll get some tweets about the summit, and then he'll probably shift gears and go on, on to other matters. Yeah, perhaps um, perhaps we just need to be used to these things. But but it's given his past behaviour. That's the crucial qualifying comment there that uh, that overshadows a little of the surprise. What um, kinds of progress can we expect though today? In your view, it's a question that everybody deserves to weigh in on. 
professor, I was listening to the program a little bit before, and I heard the professor that's in the studio say, you know, you don't want to get too much into speculation in your response as well. And that's really all we have at this point. And I do think it's remarkable uh, the fact that this has been kept so well under wraps. Yeah, there are rumors out there, but they feel quite wild. And really, no one has any idea what is about to to come out of this. Now, ideally, what I would like to see is is for North Korea to create a list and, and submit a list that, that lays out its nuclear facilities, uh, both known and unknown. Of course, you know, we would expect that they wouldn't, wouldn't list everything on that, but at least it gives the U.S. intelligence community and, and our government a way to begin to look at this and com- make a, make a comparison. So, okay, we know this is what we suspect. This is what they've declared. And at least the real work of if there's going to be a, a denuclearization, uh, at least then we have a starting point. Is that realistic? I, I don't quite think it is. I think the best possible outcome is a signed agreement that agrees on the basic terms and recognizes that this is the beginning of a process and not going to be a one-shot deal. Carl, you and I used to talk a lot about um, Moon Jae-in when he was a candidate for the presidency. Uh, but you've been based in the US since he actually became president. From afar, you must still recognize what an interesting role the South Korean leader is playing right now. Yeah, he's he's been really kind of integral to this. And, you know, especially it's been especially eye opening, uh, because being based here in the US, especially when he was elected, there was a lot of you know, what I would call anti-Moon Jae-in-ism going on. You know, I've heard him call called all kinds of names. There was very little trust in him. And this was before all of the North Korea stuff started. Of course, there was a well-known reporter, I believe, at the Washington Post called, it, called Moon Jae-in anti-American, which I don't think was ever the case and was certainly not the case through through the election. But what we've seen is him playing a, a very positive role in all of this. I, I think he's been a really smooth operator in a lot of ways, getting the two together uh, in the ways that he's, he's been flattering Trump, but not just flattering. He also has something to deliver. And I think that's what separates him from Prime Minister Abe is that that, pre- that President Moon has been able to deliver the Kim Jong-un summit and Prime Minister Abe hasn't really been able to deliver anything. Um, and at the same time, he realizes that there it hasn't been that big of a political gamble for him. While the South Korean public is generally happy to see a relatively hard line on North Korea, depending on North Korea's actions, that doesn't mean they don't want to just completely lock out North Korea and not talk to them. And so he's realized that, realizing that public opinion would swing his way. And if there is a, a breakup of, of this summit, it ends, you know, in acrimony, that he's not going to bear the blame for this. All the blame is probably going to be placed on the United States, given uh, President Trump's track record. A final question as we build up to this uh, famous meeting, and just briefly, if we can answer it, d- does this rank right up there with some of the most important meetings of the 20th century, of the Cold War era, and even before? I, I think that it's going to. You know, this is something that we, we haven't really seen. They've they certainly wanted to try this since the, the Kims took over in North Korea, and, and suddenly here we have it. You know, the, the analogy I've been using is like, this is a lot like Alexander the Great and the Gordian Knot. You know, you're presented with the problem and, you know, all the people who came before him were, were looking at this knot, trying to pick around the edges. And his solution was to just take out a sword and, and essentially slice it in half. And that's what we've seen. Um, you know, in the past, we've had all the experts and the presidents who actually listened to their experts. Uh, saying, you know, we can't do this. There's a roadblock here, roadblock here. This needs to be phased in over a, a long period of time. And now we have uh, a new president coming in, just going straight to it, saying, we're going to do this my way. We're going to try to take care of it. And it's going to be a very interesting meeting to watch, especially here in the U.S., waking up tomorrow morning uh, to the results. 
Thank you so much. Carl Friedhoff, also a pleasure having you on the line with us today. Thank you, Alex. And uh, what we can now see on our monitor, six US flags, six North Korean flags lined up overlooking a red carpet. And you could just hear a little bit of the sound there from um, the hotel, the Cabela Hotel in Singapore. Um, honestly, at the moment, it's it's an empty red carpet that's the most interesting thing to watch right now because that's what we're, we're hopefully going to see filled very shortly with uh, North Korean chairman Kim Jong-un as he now arrives in uh, his car and he's being bowed to by his right-hand man, Kim Jong-tol. And the door is opening and out steps Kim Jong-un, an imposing figure with a very serious expression. He nods. It gives a casual nod to Kim Jong-tol, who for the last few minutes has been fidgeting and, and, and looking nervous. Uh, wondering how this is all going to go. We see Che Sun-hee there as well, one of the key North Korean negotiators, along with Kim Yong-chol in, in the last few weeks. They're there. They're finally there at the Capella Hotel. The sign is there with the stars of the hotel above the, the signage. And um, it, it's the moment we've all been waiting for. The excitement is palpable even here in Seoul. Uh, not got any eyes on US officials at the moment. Uh, the cameras all pointing in the direction of, of the North Korean contingent. But yes, now we're seeing replays again. Kim Jong-un looking absolutely stone-faced and serious. Just a casual nod to his entourage. And Professor Patricia Getty, can I just get your own personal reaction to that? Not necessarily as an expert, just as a human being looking on at another human being ahead of one of the most important meetings in history. I, I can't believe I'm seeing it with my own eyes uh, before me. I've, I've been in Korea for a long time and, and even as a child. So I, I have a lot of personal reactions to uh, the North Korean leadership and, uh, and what, what can happen for peace on the peninsula. I think we all have a vested interest in how this might turn out. So at this moment, um, I, I, have, I think I have both hope and a little bit of trepidation as to how this summit is going to play out. I can feel the butterflies building, I must say, in a way that I didn't expect. This all felt so surreal until this moment. Now it's starting to get real. Exactly. Uh, Because you look at Kim Jong-un's face, it just says it all. It says he... His expression speaks of the enormity of this meeting, even if we haven't had a glimpse of President Trump. And all we've really seen from Trump is the tweeting about other issues, which kind of almost took your eye off the ball a little bit. Right. And last night we were seeing pictures of Kim Jong-un smiling, uh, even at the inter-Korean summit. But his, uh, his game face is on right now. And so we see this is going to be very, very serious. And my fingers are crossed. Right, well, um, let's um, see if we can have a listen in a few moments to uh, whatever we can from this, uh, from this summit, but uh, we, we'll bring you any further updates as we get them through the day. We are going to be on air with this TBS EFM 2018 US North Korea Summit Special until 2 p.m. So the plan is Kurt Asian, who would normally be on air at this time with Careerscape, is going to be coming into the studio in around four minutes from now. Well, actually, first we're going to have your latest news headlines, then Kurt Asian will be coming in. Uh, And then at uh, just after noon, I'm going to come back in until 2 p.m. 
and uh, really look forward to bringing you some great news. Fingers crossed it will be some great news today. One way or another, history is going to be made and you get that feeling. History is unfolding before our eyes. Again, thank you to you, Professor Getty. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Professor Patricia Getty of Sunken Guan University School of Law, one of many guests that we've already spoken to today and will continue to bring you analysis from.